in chapter 10. I'm thankful that we have the Word of God, aren't you? Amen. Amen. Uh, as you grow in your faith and you grow in your walk of faith, you learn to appreciate the Bible more. And I appreciate the Bible more, probably today, than I have in any other day in my life. And I'm thankful for its teachings and truth. And truly, God has blessed us. And I'm thankful for our country this morning. Uh, I'm proud to be an American. Uh, I'm not ashamed of my country. I'm not ashamed uh, to wear her colors. I'm not ashamed uh, to sing of the greatness of this land. I believe America is a great country. And I believe that God has given us a great land. And uh, we need to hold fast to that. Amen. Amen. We, we do. I'm afraid that one of the things that we are losing in a nation is uh, patriotism. Uh, I wonder how many of you in here that are uh, 12 and under uh, knew that song they played during the offertory. God bless America. I wonder how many actually knew it. I wonder how many teenagers knew the words or could say all the words to our national anthem. It's an amazing thing what is being lost before our very eyes. And uh, we need to rise up and to teach and to share in those things. You would think with all the decor... And uh, this being the holiday, I had a patriotic message to preach this morning, uh, but I do not. Uh, the Lord did not lead that way. In fact, He led me uh, a different way altogether. And I want you to see Jesus speaking in John chapter 10. And you all pray for me, my allergies. I was up in New York, and obviously it didn't agree with me. Whenever you cross the Mason-Dixon, it could be challenging uh, for those who were born in the South. And uh, I drove toward the South like Superman toward the yellow sun. Uh, amen. Uh, for those who know a little comic allegory, and, uh, it's good to be back here. But my allergies have been going crazy, so I can't tell how loud I am. So I'm going to ask Justin to adjust me properly. So if I get too loud, I'll, you start going like that, and I'll know. And uh, if I think you're just being obnoxious, I'll show you how loud I really can be. And uh, if, I, if I start to see you doze off, obviously I'm not loud enough. And Justin, you just need to crank me up at that point. Uh, but thank you for your prayers while we were there visiting family. And uh, father-in-law, he asked you all to continue to pray for him as he battles cancer. And he had asked us to come up and didn't know what that was all about until he pulled into the driveway. And I saw eight cord of wood laying there ready to be split and stacked. <laughs> you know, when he said, you're my favorite son-in-law, I really need you to come see me, I thought we were having a moment. He was conning me. So, drove up Monday, all day Tuesday, split and stacked wood. All day Wednesday, split and stacked wood. Guess what I did Thursday? Split and stacked wood. And then you know what I did Friday? I got up at 3 a.m. and left. <laughs> Uh, but it's good to be home. Thank you for your prayers. And it's good to be in the house of God. And let's go to the scriptures this morning. Thank you for your continued prayers for my wife and her family. And uh, we much, much appreciate it. And please covet them to continue. Jesus said in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 7, Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is talking about salvation. He's talking about that he wants the people that hear his message to be saved from their sin. And he needs them to understand that there's no other way to be saved, to have salvation, to go to heaven, to be with God, than to go through Jesus Christ. 
Verse 10, he says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come, and I want you to listen to this phrase, because this is a desire that Jesus has for everybody. He says, I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. In the Gospel of John, Jesus makes a statement that shows forth his heart that he has for his people as he tells them three key things in this passage of Scripture. First, he tells them that he is the key to life and all that they've ever hoped for as he tells them that he is the way of salvation. Secondly, he tells them that he had a great desire for them to have life. And not just to go through the motions, not to just live out their course of days, not just to have a simple highs and lows and not having a real life. He says, but I want you to have life more abundantly. As he says, I want you to have life more abundantly. He says, I want you to have a full life. I want you to have a rich life. He says, I want you to have an enjoyable life. He says, I want you to have a life that you're excited to get up in the morning, that you're excited to live out. He says, and I I can provide that life, he says, if you'll let me. You know, I think God wants more for us than what we ever could imagine for ourselves. A lot of times we'll have dreams and we'll have aspirations of what we can achieve. And God looks down and he says, oh, if you would just let me, he says, I could do so much more in your life. Jesus wants us to have an abundant life. Now I want to put a time out right here and just say about the donut eating contest. Professionals do not compete with amateurs. I'm going to leave it there. (laughs) Time back in. Jesus says, you know, I want you to have an abundant life. And as I began to pray about that, and as that that word just stuck out, abundant life, I began to talk to the Lord about it. I said, Lord, what do you mean? He says, I know you mean when you say have life, you mean salvation to have eternal life. He says, but Lord, what is that abundant life? And the Lord spoke to my heart through some scripture, and he says, I want you to have a life that is all put together. That is all put together. Have you ever just seen somebody and you've observed them for a little while and you say, man, they've got it together. Uh, They've got a good marriage. They've got a good job. It just seems like their kids love them. And man, you just look at that life and you say, man, they've got it all together. And you say, I kind of would like a little bit of that. I'd kind of like to have my life come a little bit. I'd like for the bills to be paid all in one month and not have to wonder where I'm going to get the money. Uh, I'd like to have a job where I woke up and I was excited to go to and I didn't hate it. A lot of people, 80% of Americans hate their job. That's a statistic. That's crazy, isn't it? But true. So I'd like to have a time where I just woke up and I was happy to be married to my spouse and happy to have my guy. I would just like my life to be all together. That's what God wants for his people. God wants his people to be saved. And he wants you to have a life that's all put together. Without the missing pieces, without uh, the highs and lows, that just happenings that derive whether you're happy or not. He says, I want you to have a life that you enjoy. So I began a journey about where to find this life. I said, well, what's the example? I said, Lord, you're the example for all things. But then I began to think about who Jesus was. And there's only one Christ. And his title on earth was man of sorrows. And do you realize that even though Jesus embodied all the characteristics that he wants his people to have, there was a life that he had to live, that only he could live to be the Messiah and Savior of the world, that only was for him. It wasn't for anybody else. 
He says, the life that I lived was my life. It was me laying down my life for the sheep. He says, that was for the shepherd. He says, you're the sheep. He says, I want you to have a different kind of life that I am giving of myself on the cross of Calvary for you to have. He says, I want you to have a life that's put together. He says, and I can do that. He says, my life was mine. He says, your life is something different. Well, I began to study the characters of the Bible. And I thought, man, surely the hall of faith... Hebrews chapter 11, where these great Bible characters, these people who did extraordinary things by faith, surely they had a life that was all together. So I went there, Brother Allen, the very first one. He says, Abel. He was killed. I don't want to be Abel. By faith, Noah. He was stuck in a large boat with a lot of animals that smelled, and he, yeah, don't want to be Noah. Plus, try to imagine me driving a nail in a big boat. Wouldn't end well. Just in me in the wood. The Lord forgives a lot of things. Amen. Thank the Lord. I went through Noah. Went down to Abraham. Well, Abraham, he was highly successful in business, but, well, he doubted a lot. He lied a lot. And he had that second wife that really caused problems. Don't think that was a good idea. I don't think Abraham, though a great man, didn't have it all put together. Well, what about Moses? Well, he killed somebody. Well, I don't want to do that. Not to mention when he went to follow God, he left his wife back at home. She must have been a heck of a woman because daddy drove her all the way to where Moses was, dropped her off and left. <laughs> Moses left her, daddy brought her. He said, son, don't even think about sending her back. <laughs> so I thought about that and I said, nope. No want Moses. We go down through there, a guy named Jephthah. He made a crazy vow and had to give away his daughter. Well, that just didn't end well. I thought about Daniel. Lion's den, eunuch, that says it all. I I didn't want to be Daniel. I started going through all the hall of faith. I said, man, none of these people have it all together. I said, Lord. I said, well, what do we do? And he said two words to me. Genesis 2. Genesis 2. Do you know what's divinely different about Genesis 2? It's before Adam sinned. And God shows us an example of where he had it all together. That man undid. This morning I want us to go to Genesis 2. I want you to understand a life that's put all together There are four things in Genesis chapter 2 over the next four weeks that we will look at. This morning we will look at the very first aspect of having a life that's put all together. Genesis chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 1. After reading verse 1, we'll skip down a few verses and we'll read our text. Chapter 1 is the creation story. How our great Lord created all things. Chapter 2... It's an unfolding of his dealings with man. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had made. And I want you to look down here in verse 6. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. 
And the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight, and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, and is the compass of the whole land of Avalia, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There is Bedellium and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon, the same of the compass of the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hittikel, which is goeth forth the east of Assyria, and the fourth river Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden and dressed it to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, and every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Amazingly, there was not one in the great hall of faith that had it all together. Amazingly, there was not one person that we could model our life after to look at the whole course and say, you know what, that's what I desire. But as we ask the Lord and we seek out the truth, we see there was a moment, a heartbeat of time, where God shows us the picture of a life that is all put together. And He shows us within this passage of Scripture four great truths that teach us how we can have a life that is all put together. The very first thing we need to understand about having a life put together is where it all began. You see, if you look at this chapter, we have Adam. Adam has a job to take care of the garden. He loved his job. Adam had a place to live. It was called Eden. Eden means paradise. He had a place that he loved. He was given a wife that was made just for him. It wasn't chance. It wasn't dating online. It wasn't, I hope she looks like the picture that she posted. It was, I'll let you all catch up with me. It was a woman created just for him. This man knew he was exactly where he was supposed to be. This man was doing exactly what he knew he was supposed to be doing. This man was married to the person he knew he was supposed to be married to. And right there, we have a life that is all put together. There was no guessing. There was no question. God took a man and he put his life all together for him. And then he told Adam, he says, live. Have life. Have it more abundantly. Just remember, I'm the source of your life. What did Jesus say in John chapter 10? He says, I want to give you life. He gave Adam life. But then he took him from where he was and he put him and ate him and he put him with someone and he gave him a job. And he says, I want you to have an abundant life. It wasn't just enough to give him life. He wanted to put the life together that Adam could have paradise. Do you know the same thing that God wants for you? The very first thing we have to realize about the text, I'm going to ask Brother Newsom to help me today. 
Are you feeling good? Yes, sir. Flexible and agile? Good. Most All right, I'm going to need you to do a couple things. Nothing strenuous. Where it all began was that verse where it says, And God formed man out of the dust of the earth. So many times, will you just lay down right there? When our neighborhood Bible time evangelist was teaching creation, he had one of the kids lay down, and he talked about how God formed them. And I was sitting there, and I was listening and watching, and Brother Bill, inside of me, the Lord said, that's not exactly right. And I said, well, what do you mean that's not exactly right? He said, that's not how I did it. You ever have God just talk to you? Maybe, maybe you don't. He talks to me, and I talk with him. It's great. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, look at the word formed. That word formed in the Hebrew means to to sculpt up, especially as a sculptor. Did you know that a sculptor, when working, they don't work like this. They work upward. So as we're thinking about creation, we need to get the story right. That when God created Adam, the mist came up from the earth, the great fog of moisture. And he was able to take the dust and he began sculpting feet and sculpting legs. He sculpted hands and arms, a torso, maybe a little more bulkier chest. (laughs) He sculpted him about, because if you've ever seen a sculptor, they go about in circular fashion, sculpting from a base up, never out. As God formed man, he forms him up. That for God breathes the breath of life. God is not lording over man. God is face to face. The very first aspect of having a life put together is having a face to face relationship with Jesus Christ. He is not one who wants to lord over his creation, he's one who wants to sculpt up his creation, giving you a life. That is put together. And when God breathed the breath of life into him. When those eyes first opened. The very first thing that Adam saw. Was his God. The very first touch he felt. Was his God. The very first warmth of breath that he felt upon his cheeks. Was his God. Adam. Began his journey face to face with God and when he got face to face with God and God gave him a life God was able to take him and give him a life more abundantly many of us we see God as one lording over us and we think he's looking down upon us and that's not what he desires at all he desires a face to face He does not want to control us. He wants to give us life more abundantly. He does not want to dictate to us. He wants to give us a job that we love. He wants to give us a home that we're safe and secure. And he wants to give us a spouse that we love. He wants to give us children that we can raise up. That they would be sculpted up as well. Just as he sculpted up us. Into that image. Far too many times we've not been taught from the beginning base proper truth to grow. And so we have a life that is up and down, fractured here, like this, hate that, well, just settle there. 
when God says, I can give you life, but then I'm going to take you to Eden and I'm going to give you life more abundantly. Have you ever thought about what it was in that moment for Adam and God? Have you ever thought about what was the very first word ever uttered on earth and who spoke it? I believe that we could go back to Luke and we see the genealogy of Christ going all the way back to Adam. Where it says, Seth, the son of Adam. Adam, the son of God. I believe that after those eyes were opened and they stood there face to face, I believe the first word ever spoken was son. Because God loves his children. It's not his will that any should die, but all should come to repentance. The genealogy records him as the son of God. What better way to introduce yourself than to say son? The very first acknowledgement of relationship as a creator and a creation. You see, most of us, when it comes to our spirituality... We see God as the, the, the old man upstairs or the big man up on the throne. Or uh, we see him as someone who's lording over but not very interested. Uh, it's, we kind of think of him, if we would actually picture out, we kind of think of him as we're the ants going about and he's the human looking down just watching the little colony and every now and then squishing one or every now and then get a magnifying glass or just kicking over an ant. That, that's not who he is. He's a God of such depth of love. The only person to see him face to face ever in this capacity was Adam. And can you imagine looking into the eyes of love? God is love. To hear the voice filled with love outpouring. He had life and he was getting ready to get it more abundantly. We need to realize some things about this thing called life. You see, this relationship is special. It's divine. It's not a haphazard. It's not a half in, half out. God is all in in this relationship. He wants connection. He wants closeness. He wants to be face to face. When you talk with God, how do you talk to God? When you commune with God, how do you commune with God? I think it amazing that when Jesus is trying to get back into the church in Revelation 3, and he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He said, if any man will hear and open to me, he says, I will come in unto him. And what's the next phrase? Anybody know? I will sup with him. You know what that means? I will sit down across from you face to face. And we will break bread. And we will have communion. From beginning to end, God wants this relationship with you. He doesn't want you to be far. He doesn't want you to be distant. He doesn't want you to have a life that is fractured and broken and undone. And you may feel that way today. You may feel that you're as far from God as you've ever been. But I want you to know this morning, he says, if you will draw nigh unto him, and James, that he will draw nigh unto you. And if we're to have a life that is all put together, if we're to begin to restructure and reform and allow God to sculpt up a life and give us life and then to give us life more abundantly, then we need to get a face-to-face relationship. With Jesus Christ. Not a life of religion. Not a going through the motions. But a relationship that is face to face. Can you imagine 
when his masterpiece was complete and he stepped in close. He breathed that breath that transformed this figure of clay into a living being. The man would open his eyes, find himself face to face with God in that moment. There had to be a chain reaction of thought. You ever take time to spend time with God that you want to understand him? Paul's the only one who made a statement. He says that I may know him. That I may know him. Now you need to understand something about God. God is in all time at all time. Right? I'm not going to get too complicated because I'll lose people. But in every single moment of time, God is there. And so God, when he is in every single moment, it's all moments at once. So I believe when he breathed the breath of life into Adam, I believe every moment of human history in that heartbeat flashed before him. I believe the flood, Jerusalem, the rise and fall of kings, Calvary, and Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You see, God sees us in such a richness and depth that we cannot begin to entertain. But if we will aspire to have more, to be more, He can give us life and give us life more abundantly. But it requires a face-to-face relationship. The most important things aren't spoke over the phone. They're face-to-face. The most delicate of things are not written. They're face-to-face. And if we were to ever to have the life that God desires for us, if we were to have abundant life that leads to Eden, that leads to Eve, then we first must have the face-to-face with God. I believe as God stood before Adam and Adam stood before God, all of humanity represented. Every moment, every heartbreak, every tear, every heartbeat, every joy and every disappointment of human history flashed before his eyes. Because this man would make one choice that would cost Christ his life. It would be this man that after Genesis chapter 3, we know nothing else about. It is in this moment we see a life put all together. And we see the formula of what God can do if we'll let him. The question is, will you let God Have you? And will you be desirous enough to have a face-to-face relationship? You see, to understand this properly, we need to go over here for a moment and realize Adam, when he opened his eyes, he went through a thought process too. Not as vast or as great or knowing as God. But he saw this one And as they locked eyes, Adam developed far more than anyone else because the fruit of the tree of the knowledge and evil had to have properties that changed him. This man was able to name all the animals scientifically accurately without ever opening a textbook. So as this man saw God, he saw his creator. As this man, I believe, truly heard the first word ever spoken, son. Why? Because Jesus is the son. On the first day, he said, let there be light, which is representation of the son. And in Revelation, he says, before the foundations of the earth, the earth was slain, the lamb was slain, which was the son. He heard the first word, son. 
and he saw his father. And then as he was escorted to Eden, and he saw life more abundantly, he recognized him as Lord. This morning you have a creator. He loves you. He's God. But he wants to be more than God. He wants to call you son and daughter. And he wants you to know he's your father. And you must receive that life before he can ever give you life more abundantly. And once you see that life more abundantly, you can joyfully of heart call him Lord and follow him because you then begin to understand the great vastness of the love of God. Jesus says, I'm the shepherd who will give my life for the sheep. I want you to have life and I want you to have it more abundantly. He says, but where does it begin? Face to face. Do you have a face to face kind of relationship with God today? Would you say that you know him? Would you say that you're close, that you're intimate? Or you, would you want more? Would you want to be closer? God did not lord over. He did not start here and man pulled up. Man started up and made a choice and went down. God wants to bring us back up and give us a life that's all put together. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?